Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. Tucson city government is on the cusp of change. Voters just elected Democrat Rahina Romero as mayor. She'll be sworn in in December. This week, we take a look forward and also a look back to get a sense of where the city's headed. New leadership at the head of Tucson city government could mean new priorities. This week, we talk with outgoing Mayor Jonathan Rothschild about his eight years in office. But first, we start with a discussion about the kind of city Tucson could become. A panel of mayors, including Rothschild, recently gathered at the 10 West Conference in Tucson to talk about what makes cities innovative. Former St. Louis Mayor Francis Slay says he approached that idea from his first day in office. Whether it's health, education, uh, all kinds of other things that are important for a quality city. We have a lot of environmental issues and, and all that, so I, I hired a uh, sustainability director uh, to help lead me as a, as a mayor. Uh, that was not my forte, and I was a trial lawyer before I was mayor, but I, I knew this was something important for our future and for the future generations. And so um, it, was a, it was another thing I thought was important, that, you know, we're, here we are addressing crime, we're addressing poverty, we're addressing education, all these other things. But uh, the environment is something that's important to all of us. How did you get people to buy in? Or did they buy in? Did it work? Yeah, it was, um, we, we got a lot of buy-in uh, in, in St. Louis. St. Louis is um, a, uh, uh, a progressive city in every respect. So the buy-in wasn't a real difficult part. It was, it was about, it was, it was about uh, bringing people to the table it was about communication of what we were doing. It was about inviting uh, a broad base, uh, being very inclusive in terms of the approach we were taking, having uh, meetings and, and, and educating people about what we were doing, why we were doing it, and soliciting, bringing to the table people who have knowledge about the various topics that we were uh, addressing, and also making sure that uh, we did a lot of community outreach as well uh, so that uh, people we represented, I represented, uh, knew, knew what was going on and why and how they could be part of it. One of the things we did, and this is a little off related, we, we did, for example, um, milkweeds for monarchs. It sounds like a you know, small thing, but it was something really fun for the city. We, we were able to engage people all over the city of St. Louis to start thinking about the monarch population, the monarch butterfly population. It was deteriorating rapidly for several reasons. And so uh, we have this. We had this thing. We now you can go on. You can go online in the city of St. Louis, and you can see a map of the everybody in the city of St. Louis that has a a monarch garden, a uh, milkweed garden, because monarchs uh, feed on and lay their eggs on, on on milkweeds. The caterpillars eat the milkweeds. That's the, that's all they'll eat. So uh, it's something important for the population. I brought it to the conference of mayors and. Cities all across America were doing it, and then next thing you know, I see a book where they were talking about in Europe what we were doing here in St. Louis. So um, we had fun with it, and, and so it wasn't about getting buy-in as much as it was about getting um, collaboration and uh, inclusivity in, in terms of the process. Where we get the pushback was on mostly, and, and not in a big way, but the concerns were raised mostly from builders, people who had who had businesses, people even within government were concerned about some of the things, uh, trying to meet certain um, 
uh, benchmarks uh, on various things. Uh, you mentioned St. Louis is a progressive city getting, and you talk about getting people involved and bringing people to the table. When it comes to other issues, the LGBTQ community, you've been very supportive of them. You held uh, marriages in your office. And I've, I've heard it said that you believe that's all part of a sustainable city. So how does a social issue like that that became a political issue go with sustainability? Most people just think of greenhouse gases, water, and things like that when we hear sustainability and city. Well, it's all about quality of life. It's about living in an environment where uh, people are accepted for who they are. Uh, people are able to uh, love who they want to love and have a relationship with who they want to have a relationship with. Um, in fact, um, yeah, I had uh, we, we 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 challenged state law. We had three um, ma marriages of same-sex couples at one time in my office, and later on, my sister and her wife w was married in my office. Um, you know, personally, it was one of the most um, things I was most I felt. As, as good about as anything we did, because this really was about allowing people uh, to be able to express their their uh, emotions and their love in a very public way, without and be be accepted. It really starts with uh, well, it, there's a lot of ways it can start, but be, being a mayor with a with 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 high profile um, ability to to showcase this to everybody that this is okay and we're going to do this. Uh, that was one of the things um, that was m most um, satisfying for me at, at being mayor, that the having same-sex marriages. And by the way, nobody ever challenged those marriages. Uh, even though it was against state law, the, the, the court never threw the marriages out. And they are, and then since then, before it was all over, uh, you know, we got, we, it was all changed by the courts ultimately. But uh, that was... Um, Really, I thought it was very exciting. So you did those marriages before the U.S. Supreme Court had ruled that that was going out on a limb legally back then. Yeah, we, we were we were we were challenging state law and we won as a as a mayor of a city who obviously talks to other mayors uh, when you were mayor and, and now, you know, former mayors, big changes on issues like same-sex marriage, the environment, do they need to start at the city level and just forget the state, forget the Fed? If all the cities do it, it gets done and everything gets better. Yes. I mean, I, I believe, I mean, a lot of stuff starts at the, at, at the local level. Um, and, and again, city is, so St. Louis, you have to put us in perspective. We're, we're a very progressive city in a, uh, in a red state. I mean, Missouri is heavily Republican. Um, and um, so if we want to get some something done, uh, we, we have to do it ourselves. We're not, the state's not going to, we can't go to the state and get it done. So uh, I look at the city as, as a, a place where leadership can happen and we can, we can change minds and we can, uh, we can improve the quality of life in a lot of different ways. All right. Well, thanks so much for sitting down with us. My pleasure. That was former St. Louis Mayor Francis Slay, who was in town last month as part of the 10 West Festival. Tucson Mayor Jonathan Rothschild moderated the 10 West Innovative Cities panel. In a conversation taped before voters elected a new mayor, he says all the innovative cities featured had one thing in common.
to become a innovative city to take that next step really from where Tucson's at because we've done a lot of great work over the last number of years you really have to have university buy-in and you have to have college buy-in because it, for instance in Pittsburgh uh, of course they have the University of Pittsburgh but they have Carnegie Mellon and that was important in St. Louis they have St. Louis University but they also have Washington University and in Phoenix of course they have ASU and the U of A too has gone to Phoenix and so that was an important lesson. We had a number of people from the University of Arizona there and from ASU. And because still what we're looking at is that next generation of technology, that next generation of worker, that next generation of companies, they're all going to come, for the most part, out of the university systems. So that, that was really the first lesson. And then the second lesson was really about placemaking. Why would you want to have, or why would these people want to be downtown as opposed to somewhere else? And at least the current trend, it could change, but the current trend is that people want to be close to public transportation or alternative modes of transportation. They want to be close to arts and culture. They want to be close to restaurants and bars. They want to be close to entertainment. And they kind of want to be close to each other. Uh, so another challenge and it was interesting the questions the most of the questions we got which surprised me because at the end of the mayor's panel we had a uh, took questions from the audience was about housing and about affordable housing and how you balance building that innovative city that new city with getting people to be able to afford to live in it and near it you you really seem to be in many ways talking about downtown tucson there's arts and culture there thanks to the streetcar now there and the Ronstadt Center, which has been there a long time, public transportation, there are restaurants and, and bars. We're, we're seeing housing go in. So is Tucson an innovative city or are we becoming an innovative city? I think we're becoming an innovative city. Uh, you know, people forget where we were eight years ago. And so we've made that uh, leap. I'm convinced looking forward that we're 60% of where we are going to be in 10 years for downtown. So what does that next 40% look like? And the more you can do that with intentionality, uh, I think the better you're going to be. And so the one thing that has not yet come to our downtown, is starting to come to our downtown, is these um, smaller companies, these tech companies. Um, and we have a project underway, which hopefully by the spring will be something that people can look at, which is called the Forge. It's the uh, old, I always call it the old Walgreens building because that's how people remember it. It's Stone and Pennington. It's a uh, building that is owned by the county uh, that has been leased by the county to the University of Arizona. And the U of A used it for a few years. They had a bookstore there and they would have some programming in there. We're going to open that up soon as a place for uh, uh, incubators for entrepreneurs for startups and part of that's building that synergy now what would also be nice is to take some of the companies we have in town the Raytheons the hexagons the caterpillars and have them take some of their inventors some of the people that are working on their modern technologies and bring them over to the building because it's all the idea of getting these people in the same mix and in and, and, and bringing ideas together. 
And hopefully a lot of good can come from that. We talked with former St. Louis Mayor Slay right after your panel. And one of the things he talked a lot about and was very proud about was sustainability and climate change when, when he was in office. As mayor of Tucson, how's Tucson doing when it comes to dealing with climate change? Well, I, I, so a couple things. One, that is on everybody's mind. It is if you poll uh, at least on uh, at least one side of the aisle, uh, it is the most popular issue. Uh, climate change is not a local issue. It's not a state issue. It's not a national issue. It's a world issue. And until the United States, China, Russia all come together, uh, come together really starting with the Paris Accords and trying to make that a reality, it's going to be difficult. At the same time, you don't throw up your hands and say, well, we're not doing anything and we can't do anything. So the city does what we can, and I think there's more that can be done. Mayor Slay was very proud of the fact that he had hired a sustainability director for the city of St. Louis. Is that something the city of Tucson, the next mayor, should do? Someone who can oversee all the water, all the solar, and all the other things? Yeah, we're looking at that. In fact, we just, um, a couple of meetings ago, directed the city manager to put together uh, so we do have a climate uh, action committee, and they came to us and they made two recommendations. One, they asked that the city staff that is knowledgeable and interested, and there's a whole lot of them, in sustainability issues work together as a committee to help them uh, formulate and suggest ideas to council. So that's happening. And their second recommendation was exactly that, that a uh, the city hire as someone to coordinate the climate efforts. And uh, so we suggested to the manager that in next year's budget uh, that he look at that. And uh, again, my guess is that to, to the extent we are able, that'll be a high priority. That was Tucson Mayor Jonathan Rothschild talking about what it will take to make Tucson an innovative city. After eight years in office, Tucson Mayor Jonathan Rothschild is retiring. Democrat Regina Romero will take the helm in December. In the first part of our show, we talked about ideas Rothschild has for moving Tucson forward. This conversation was taped before the election. We asked Rothschild to reflect on the last eight years, beginning with what he is most proud of. You know, when you run for office, you always think you can do better than the next, the last guy, right? You know, once you get there, you find it's not that easy. But when when I when I eight years ago, if people remember, uh, right, wrong, or indifferent, uh, there was um, kind of a distrust to city hall. Uh, people didn't think the city was running in the right direction, and probably one of the reasons I ran. Uh, when I got there, I found that. Some of that was misperception, but it didn't matter because if it's a perception, that's a reality in government. And so um, the first thing I did was sit down with the manager and the department heads, and I said, look, when we get a complaint, and I learned this from the practice of law, when we get a complaint in, um, I would like a response within 48 hours. And it doesn't mean you have to tell the person that you're going to do what they say, uh, but a lot of times we probably can. 
And if we can't, let's just tell them why we can't. What What are the issues that prevent us from getting that done now? At least acknowledge the complaint. Acknowledge the complaint and, and give an explanation. And I will tell you for the eight years, and we've had many different department directors, everybody's been great about that. And so that sort of built a new communication uh, with our constituency. And so then, of course, we, you know, that's anecdotal. Uh, but what really gave me pride was we've run three bond issues, and the first one was roads. That was $100 million, uh, and that, it was a temporary tax, which has since expired because we've used that money. And uh, I would go out to people and say, do you like the condition of the roads of the city? And everybody would say, no, they're terrible. And I'd say, well, that's great. Then there's something you can vote for, and we can help to make this a little better. Oh, the city can't do anything right. And so I said, okay, well, you know, I grew up here, and we had a lot of dirt roads, and I'm okay with that. And, oh, well, okay. Anyway, that passed by, I think, the landslide of 900 votes. And But what we'd done is put a plan in place that said we're going to fix these roads on these dates for this money, and you can watch it. And we did it, Okay. So then we went out again, again for roads, because I think roads is a perpetual issue until we get a, 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 a fund that goes on for roads. Roads last 20 years. And by the time you get done fixing all, it's time to start again. And we went out for another 100 million on roads and 150 for police and fire because our vehicles were old and our equipment was old, our communications equipment was old. That time we passed it by a 65 to 35 margin. And that told me we'd regain the trust of our community. Eight years ago, Rio Nuevo was in a lot of trouble. Now downtown is growing and is vibrant. You go down there any night of the week, and there are a lot of people down there. So after you leave, how do we keep that going? Maybe the best way to answer that is sort of to go back and see how we got from uh, being in a litigation position with Rio Nuevo to being in a very cooperative position with them. Uh, when I became mayor, that was one of the big issues. And, and I had actually gone out and looked at it, and people, I think the saying was $300 million and nothing to show for it, if I recall correctly. And I'd actually gone and looked, and all of that money had been accounted for, but... Uh, but it was all in infrastructure, it had all been in plans that hadn't come about, and there wasn't a lot to show for it, although the money could be accounted for. And I would go out and tell people that, and they would say, no, that money's, that money's gone, you know? And so I changed my thought to, well, if I get in there, I will work to fix it. And I worked for about a year and a half with the people that were currently there at the time, and the answers were always no, and it became clear to me that this wasn't about anything practical it was political and so I went up to Phoenix and um, talked with the then uh, Speaker of the House who uh, and then the President of the Senate Steve Pierce I remember and said look you guys can make us kicking boys but um, we just need a couple changes here and I remember a very distinct conversation with Steve Pierce, who called me and said, well, I've had a recommendation of a fellow named Fletcher McCusker. What do you think about him? And I said, well, uh, I said, uh, Senator Pierce, I, I think he's an independent. I don't think he's a Republican. For, for all I know, maybe at one time he was a Democrat. Um, 
you know, so are you prepared to do something like that? And he goes, well, you're a Democrat and you seem like an okay guy. And it, it was kind of like, okay, great. And so part of it was having people we could work with. And, you know, it's, it's almost like parallel governments, at least in that area of town. And so we still have our moments, but I think what keeps it working is constant communication. When you came into office, one of the things you talk, started talking about and have continued to talk about is homelessness. Right. You said at one point you wanted to see an end to veteran homelessness. Was that too big a bite? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, that, that was actually my friend, President Obama, who gave me that charge, and, and 24 other cities. Uh, but I'll tell you what I've learned, because we've housed over, since that program started, we've housed over 3,000 formerly homeless vets over six years, which seems like a, an immense number. But what I've learned is this. You don't end homelessness because people become homeless because of domestic violence, because they lose a job and they were living paycheck to paycheck, because uh, they may fall into a, a serious mental illness or a substance abuse issue. There's any number of reasons why people become homeless. And so what's more important is that you build a system that can rapidly respond to people when they become homeless. And we've done We've done a pretty good job in this community of that. Uh, we've got all sorts of prom programs and all sorts of people working around those programs. Richard Fimbris' uh, uh, homeless work program has actually been uh, very successful. Uh, and you've got all the folks that work with that. One of the things people forget about the homelessness issue or the housing issue is our federal monies that we administer, um, which in Section 8 housing, the apartments like that, uh, we house 4,500 families, and, you know, there's been talk that's never really become more than talk, thank goodness, of ha of having at the federal level those numbers. Could you imagine in just a place like Tucson putting 2,200 families on the street? And so uh, there's, there's, there's a lot of issues in, in this country, and, and we try to deal with them, but and it's an area where the city and the county have worked well together. Took us a little while, as usual. Uh, but um, we've coordinated. Uh, so we now actually, in our chronic homeless uh, program, we know by name uh, all of the people who are on the street, what their problems are, try to keep track of where they are. But those are the hardest cases. Those are the cases that you can't just put somebody into a program because they may have a serious mental illness or may have a really bad substance abuse program. Um, there's a theory out there and a practice of housing first. If you can just get somebody into an apartment and you can find an apartment owner who will let that person stay there, put enough wraparound services around them to stabilize them, that you start getting them back on the right track. Uh, again, um, uh, something that I think we've done well with, but I don't think it's something that people should think will ever go away. You just want to keep it to the minimum you can. As we wrap this up and looking back at eight years, is there anything left on the table that's unfinished that really bothers you that's still on the table? Oh, there's a lot. Um, uh, but I, I think, you know, people will continue to work on those things. Um, um, our code enforcement needs to be better. Uh, I think you're going to see some steps in the right direction there. I think we've finally convinced uh, uh, the administration, when the administration being the city manager, city attorney, that we can uh, 
put those spend resources that'll be worthwhile. Uh, you know, we've got a lot of places in our city that are just out-of-state owners or dilapidated homes or people who just aren't taking care. Not not older people who just can't take care of their house or poor people, but really places that have fallen into absolute disrepair. You can enforce a code, and if the person fixes the place, great. Now you have a place that's civil and decent. And if they don't, then, you know, go to the mat, take the pro- lean it, take the property. You'll either get paid back or you'll get the property. And then that gives the city a piece of property that they can then, um, uh, you know, grade and have available for planning, for whatever they want to do with it. I think we're going to go down that direction. That's something I would like to see. Um, it, 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 the real hardest issue, and in, in the in the most frustrating thing really over all the years, has been the revenue system is such, and this is true for cities across the country, that when you have a federal government that is um, uh, not generous, and you have a state government that is not overly generous, um, it, it, the cities are where the services are done, and. I don't know of a city in the United States, big city in the United States, that has the revenue it needs to provide the services that it wants to provide. And I'm not talking about it. It'd be nice and really nice to do some discretionary things, but even to have enough police officers. You know, we're, we're we, uh, I'm going to say we're 100 officers short. I don't think anyone quarrels with that. And we're working to put together a program to get those officers, but, you know, to get even 20 new officers a year means getting 40 new officers a year because people retire, people become disabled, whatever it may be. And that's a big uh, lift in today's society. Uh, and then you're, you're, you're changing out your workforce. You're taking from very experienced hands to young hands. And sometimes that's good, but sometimes that you know could be have its risk. Uh, and, and by the way, that is true across... Um, government workforces across the country. They're older workforces. So again, replacing that workforce is going to be a challenge and something that, you know, would be fun to be there for. But at the same time, I can, you know, be a few blocks down and maybe just make a suggestion. I won't come to call to the audience. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for sitting down with us and good luck on the next chapter. Thank you, Chris. That was outgoing Tucson Mayor Jonathan Rothschild. And that's the buzz for this week. You can submit your own story ideas to us or find other episodes at azpm.org. If you're listening on the go, subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR One app. Ariana Brocious is the show's producer and editor with help this week from Meredith O'Neill. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer, Andrea Kelly is the news director, and our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.